Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museums will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Mr. Hutchman. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, 
are starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome. We have a good one tonight. Our next guest has been spent 34 years of his life in the Army. Six and a half years as Command Sergeant Major in Strike strike in the 101st Airborne Division, and then was Eagle 7 for the 101st Airborne Division. He retired as the Force Comm Command Sergeant Major. Since that time, he has worked for a nonprofit focused on helping veterans and first responders through emotional and physical industries. He worked with a simulation company and currently serves as the managing member of the Proximity Group, helping companies reduce internal pressure and increase capacity. So without further ado, let's welcome Command Sergeant Major Retired Scott Schroeder to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Rich. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the introduction. That's fantastic. We can stop right now. <laughs> I hit all the highlights for you. I put all the right things on there. I didn't want to mention a lot of the other places you were because uh, a lot of them I've never been to, but I'll let you talk about those. So uh, one that surprised me on there was Fort Hood, uh, Three Corps. As a, I didn't didn't realize you went there between uh, 101st and uh, Force Comm. So that, that was something I didn't know about you in, until I read your bio. Yeah, that surprised a lot of people. Yeah, it's pro- probably you too. <laughs> uh, well, really, I think they brought me there. We're, we're going to the core was going to Afghanistan, so uh, they didn't take they didn't send me there to master master uh, tanks and <laughs> and tank gunnery. Uh, but I learned a lot. It, it helped me. It helped me later. Definitely did. Yeah. So. I gave, I mean, a quick blurb about you there. I know you said you want to stop at that point right there. If you can give a little more history of you from be, uh, before that port period, uh, what made you join the service to how we got to where we are now? That'd be great. Whew. Rich, you know, I, jo- I, I lived all over the daggone world when I was a kid. My dad had retired from the Navy and was with the space program. So we lived in, uh, I was born in Pennsylvania, lived in Bermuda, Maryland, Florida, second and third grade in Mexico back to Florida uh, and Virginia. And then, uh, and then I was, I, I, I don't know, I wasn't the greatest student in the world. And, and uh, there was no reason for me to do, uh, spend any money on college or anything like that. I was, I did, I was working for several years. I didn't join the army till I was 22, Rich. Um, and I, I was working, I was, I found myself in a lumber yard doing, uh, helping with pulp wood. And so not just in the lumber yard, but out in the woods. And I'm work, I was working with a bunch of freaking hard old dudes and, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50, I'm, I'm 19, 20, 21. And I'm like, I, I finally decided I am not doing this shit for the rest of my life. Um, and so I had gone to the Navy recruiter 
And um, at week before I had run the Marine Corps marathon. And so some of my blood work came back messed up and I had taken, like the recruiter told me, I took my medical records with me and, uh, and I got permanently rejected from military service. Wow. And so I waited a year and went back to the army recruiter and didn't take any records. And, uh, and so when, when I got to the box, uh, when you're enlisted and you're filling all this information out, it says, uh, have you ever been rejected from military service? And I, I, I checked the box. No. So I guess you could say I fraudulently enlisted. <laughs> the army. I'll do hold that against you now. <laughs> well, it's, it's public knowledge. Now I've, I, I talked about that in my retirement speech. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's almost, it's almost crazy what we do today with, uh, my son's a recruiter. And we disqualify all sorts of folks that could serve um, just because we keep better records today. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, so I did that. I was actually I was an electronics mechanic, my first enlistment. And um, and I was getting ready to reenlist. Another another maybe interesting note that a lot of folks might not know is uh I was at a remote site in Germany working on nukes and I had just gotten a new car and you had to travel about an hour and a half to get the thing registered. And I went to the dumpster one morning to take the trash out and there were some plates. There were some usurer plates in the dumpster. (laughs) It solved my problem. So I just put them on my, put them on my car. Problem was like, problem was like, I got a, I got a ticket. By the, the by, the Pulitzer they they take the picture and snap your picture and uh, and and so they figured out who had the daggone car and uh, so I ended up getting an article fit going in for an article fifteen the same time it's time for me to reenlist. Oh wow! Yeah. And so and and I was a specialist. I was a promotable specialist at the time, and. Uh, I tell I tell folks I think I think the commander was uh, he ne- he may have needed one more to change his uh, his reenlistment stats from yellow to green and, <laughs> and I was that guy and, and so uh, he gave me a verbal admonishment and so I was able to reenlist didn't lose any rank or anything I mean he asked me what I was going to do uh, I said well it depends you know if I'm if I, if I walk out of here as a PFC, I'll, I'll probably just pack it in. I understand it's, I'm good with it. Um, but he saw, he saw something in me or he needed, uh, or he needed to make quota, but I carried that with me for a long time. And, and, uh, I mean my whole career and, and I always thought that, you know, um, UCMJ should be fair and unequal. Definitely. Yeah. So you became infantry after that. Yeah, so I reenlisted for uh, infantry and uh, finished basic in AIT, got to Fort Bragg, and six weeks later I was in Ranger School. It's a pretty quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I mean the rest the rest is history. I I was in the 82nd. I went from the 82nd to Third uh, Ranger Battalion, uh, and I ended up going to be a drill sergeant for a bit and for for a couple years in Hawaii. And then I came to the 101st as a first sergeant. That's where I was. 
I was over in the uh, I was over in the Rockasans actually. As a first heart. As a first heart for a couple of years, and then I stood up the CCF. I don't know if you were there when we had CCF back yeah. uh, in 2000. But no, it's in between. Yeah, so CCF was a fantastic. Uh, that was probably one of the greatest, most liberating leadership experiences I had. Really? Standing that thing up, and for anybody that doesn't know CCF, it's a correctional custody facility. So you could go there as a result of Article 15, uh, company grade seven days, field grade 21 days, and I would be there with my uh, specially selected and well-trained group of cadre to uh, to to administer some corrective training. And, and it, actually, it was fantastic. A lot of the you know we would do AARs at the end, and mo a, a lot of the uh, People that went there as a result of Article 15 would say the best training I've had since I've been in the Army. Wow. Folks would come away after 21 days and have like a 70-point increase on their PT test. Wow. Sergeant Major Hill gave me the greatest compliment. Uh, at, he gave me a great compliment. He said I had to shut it down. And this is after I had left. So I got selected to go to – I went, went and did Operation Anaconda, went to the academy, and then uh, – Sergeant Major Hills said, I, I couldn't justify keeping a facility, a program opened where they were getting better training in that program as a result of Article 15 than they were a half mile up the road at the NCO Academy. So correct. It was it, it was good training. They got they got military training, they got physical fitness training. Uh, we, we taught them some life lessons. So uh, it was good. Went to Sergeant Major's Academy and came to uh Came came to uh, strike to the Wittermakers. So you're uh, 175 first, okay. Well, actually, it was 3502 oh, at the time. So OIF one, and then I was I was part of the transition from 3502 to 175, which was just a uh, yeah, it was going from 700 folks to uh, 435, and then taking all those infantry folks and then trying to spread them across the entire division. And, and I mean, you don't want to give everybody your problem children, but, uh, and you don't want to keep all the best. You want to keep all the best, but you know, you can't. Uh, so doing that and changing the barracks and all that stuff, it was just, uh, it was interesting. And then we did, then the deployments continued. It was constant after that, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tell folks from Rich from uh, from 2001 until 2014, 12 is the only year I did not have months deployed. Wow! <laughs> you were with us in 1011. You were over there as the Sergeant Major RC East, right? Close division, yeah, close yeah. East. And then I left there and went to Hood, and then I went back for as IJC. So right. that was my last. Wow. So you put it all on the line over there for a long time. And then going from the infantry battalion to the 175, people don't realize that it went from 100% or 90-something percent infantry to one company of infantry, and the rest were mostly uh, 19 series uh, troops, right? Yeah, we had two troops. But the way we, reorg we reorganized when, when we uh, – we got the mission when we deployed. We got the mission to, to have a, uh, a MIT team. And so we we just built up two troops and we took we also had a robust fires 
uh, section in the headquarters, like 20 fire supporters. Wow. Uh, so we took all those fire supporters and we took a bunch of infantry guys and, and we made two troops with four, four platoons each. Um, and we just mixed, mixed them all up. We had 19s, 11s, 13s, uh, all in the same platoon. So it was a, it was actually a really good mix of skills and capabilities in each one of those platoons. And, and instead of having a, a, a troop that couldn't do anything with, they had extra folks. So they had some, they just had more battle space, but they had more platoons to be able to, uh, move around. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that was a big change uh, just to lose that one, take that one time, turn it into what you did and, and that challenge you had to do that and then come back and still be able to lead again within the 101st, uh, continuing to stay the 101st for a long time. You were, you were here probably longer than most people get to stay at the 101st and in a uh, different varieties of positions. So that's a, that's kudos on you. And I don't know if, if you enjoyed it as much as we enjoy being at the 101st, but uh, we had to, I have a good time here. I'm still here now. So. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have left the brigade if I didn't, uh, they, they told me I had to. Yeah. Six and a half years. I was six and a half years in the brigade as a, as a command sergeant major. That's a long time. Yeah. It's a, you, you, you've grown roots in there. It <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. good. I left here. I left Fort Campbell in uh, '99, but I got here in '96 uh, when the, the first two helicopters collided there uh, from Strike, uh, doing the dog and pony show out there for the congressman. Mm -hmm. And uh, so everyone thought that Strike is the bad luck brigade at that point. And then I left in '99. We came back in 2010 from Korea. My wife's like, "Just don't go to Strike. Just don't go to Strike." She said, "Go back to Bastogne and don't go to Rockasans. Don't go to Rockasans. Whatever you do, don't go there." I said, well, you limited me to one brigade right now. So one, one plus a fourth brigade was still up. And I went into a replacement and my order said second brigade. That's well, I came out. I said, we're going to strike. No, I said, it's not Rafasan. It's a happy medium. I said, it's a new world. Actually, during that time, it was the place to be. Yeah. It was, it was the place to be. And I, I, I'll tell you, I run into folks all the time. And I would run into folks that had been in, in the strike brigade uh, during that period. And, and they had been almost spent their entire, you know, they, they'd been in for a long time and they would say by far the best experience that they've ever had was being in the strike brigade. Far Definitely. And, and my, my last tour there was amazing. And I actually requested when they sent me to Maryland APG for my last real assignment. And I asked for two days to come back here to retire in strike mm -hmm. and they, they granted it. So I'd come back, retire with the Eagle on my shoulder and strike. Fantastic. So that's where my mindset went over those three years just within the brigade and yeah. met a lot of great people. So you got to be with a lot of great leaders and a lot of great soldiers throughout your career and throughout many tours. What are some awesome uh, things that the stories that you, you can share with maybe spotlight one or two and, and come forward? With them? And I, there, there are so many rich. I, I will. Um, yeah. I, There are so many, we have so many fantastic soldiers, um, so many fantastic stories. One that sticks out in my mind that I tell folks, I was uh, at an event the other night and and somebody told, I, it was a veterans event and I, the guy that was there, he, he's in uh, finance now, but he said, well, I, 
I was in the army, but I was just a sergeant. And I said, there's no such thing as just anything. And, and then I told him a story about, now this is a, a Bastogne trooper. Uh, General Townsend and I were going and, and uh, getting ready to go in and check on an operation when we were in Afghanistan over in the uh, Konar. And, and we, we, go to, um, we go to this uh, battalion TAC and we're getting briefed on, on the concept of the operation where all the folks, where all the units were arrayed and a call came on the radio and it was uh, like Bulldog TAC, this is 3-6 Romeo, we're in contact with small arms and RPG. Uh, the platoon leader's wounded. Uh, the platoons aren't unconscious. The medics, the medics dead. The RTO's wounded. We're surrounded, and we need help right now. And and that trooper stayed on the radio for about four hours, and uh, called for fire, controlled CCA while the squad leaders were out fighting, uh, repelling the attack. And then he called in the uh, got the medevac in, and it was the RTO that had been wounded. He had been shot in the head, shot through the shoulder, and had a broken arm. PFC wow. SRAM. Uh, I said, now, some people may have said he was just a PFC. Right. No, no such thing. Right. And we have, you know, look at look at Sergeant Pereira. Yeah. Distinguished Service Cross from the Strike Brigade. Definitely. Pereira. And, and there's so many other soldiers that, that, didn't get recognized for awards, but did heroic things every day. That was was just ordinary. Just seemed ordinary, just seemed routine, just doing my job, but uh, it's every day, um, oftentimes. And so, yeah, we, there's so many great troopers and uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. You're definitely right. Most. Most anyone that was in strike when I was there would say I would I didn't do anything anyone else wouldn't have done. I, I did the same thing the guy or girl to my left would have done. There's nothing I did that was better. I don't understand why I'm getting this and not them. Right. And that was across the board. And even even the brothers in the Bastogne, that's where I, I started. That's where I learned the most of my leadership was in Bastogne in second three two seven in the nineties. And to see how they how they were fighting in the RC East while we were in the South it showed that their tenacity was still the same in the, in the 2000s as it was back when I was just, we thought we were just training to train at that time in the 90s, but all that training leads up to something and it embeds in your head what you're supposed to be doing. And when the, the clock ticks and your your number comes up to go into the fight, you got those 30 seconds to make a decision and make either make the enemy lose or, or you have to go down in a ball of fire. So, and both, all, all the 100 force was doing that at the same time, even our, even those Rafasan guys. Yeah, even those rock song guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to give them too much credit, but I, yeah, I have to be partial to everybody now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but when I was in the Rockasons, there was tension uh, between the Rockasons and Strike Two. So I mean, it, it it's fine. It's as uh, long as it's healthy. Long yes. as it's healthy competition, it, it's good. Uh, no matter what, if the Rockasons and uh, Strike were in a bind, they would they would work together, and they have worked together. I mean. Uh, down in 2010, um, you know, sec I think second battalion it was second battalion that came down uh, with y'all for yeah. for a while to do some fighting, along with some of the the engineers from BSTB as well. Yeah, yes, we had a whole bunch of them down there for probably I think through throughout the whole operation down there. Eagle Eagle Strike, uh, great operation and uh, great teamwork amongst the division. 
So after your, I mean, 34 years in, how was it that day that you hung him up and you became just Mr. Scott Schroeder at that point? And the, how was it like, oh, what do I do with myself? Or I need to find more things to keep myself going. I was ready. You're ready. <laughs> I was good. Um, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything else I could do. Um, uh, and, and, and I think that's maybe why some folks have a hard, hard time. Uh, but, but I was happy. I was content. I was, I was ready to be Scott. I tell folks, uh, you know, Sergeant Major is what I was, not who I am. Uh, and, and I was able to, and I'm probably, I'm different than some folks. I mean, my, my family, all my kids are growing up and out of the house and, and, uh, I was able to find actually a job found me and it was a good transition job. Like you said, I was working with a nonprofit and we were helping first responders and uh, veterans recover from physical and emotional injuries. And we did it cycling. So I like bike riding. And so uh, it was, it was good to be able to give back and also be able to uh, stay fit. Definitely. And then show them all a path to make their minds stay in the clear and not, not get into the fog that where we lose a lot of uh, guys and gals from. So yeah. Physical fitness aspect of get when you get out really helps a lot. It's uh, something a lot take for granted while they're in, and then when they get out, they realize I should probably just keep doing this a little bit. Now, well, we, out. well, we had we had guys that were double, triple amputees. We had spinal cord injury victims. We had all folks with TBI, and and so we had uh, mechanics that could uh, adapt bicycles to to meet their uh, meet their needs. And we had folks on recumbent bikes and, and hand cycles. So, and then we would take them, we had about 6,000 participants in fit over 50 locations, but then we would bring people together about eight, eight times a year. And we do rides like Minneapolis to Chicago, Jacksonville, New Orleans, 450 miles on the California coast, mountain biking a couple times a year. Um, so that's, that's what we did. Yeah, it was good. Outstanding. And then from there, you went to. Uh, did you write the book after that? Yeah, I, I took some. I took a pause and and wrote wrote the book. And and then, uh, well, as I was finishing the book, a simulation company called me, and and they asked me. They they were checking to see if I knew anybody that might be interested. And um, so, well, I'm not doing anything right now. I'll I'll come check to see what you have. And yeah. and and it was fantastic. I mean, what they had was really good. Uh, you could shoot nine mil of Mark 19. Uh, there's no course of fire that you couldn't replicate. I could sit, I could set up a screen and a system. I could load it in my truck, set it up in my garage and be shooting in 10 minutes. Wow. Uh, the sniper school had a system and they put it out. They used it out on the range and they blocked the sun with a puncher. <laughs> you, know, you could call CCA. Uh, you could call for fire, control CCA and uh, attack aviation. In, in simulation. And then uh, at the time I was, I left, we were working and getting into, uh, starting to get into, are you familiar with mixed or you have, uh, are you familiar with augmented reality? So you have, yeah. So augmented reality is uh, virtual reality. You're totally covered. You know, you're, 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 you can't see the real world. You're in a virtual world, but in, augmented reality you can put virtual virtual entities in the real world and so with with like a little headset but you can st still see out in front of you uh you could 
engage virtual and real targets with uh, laser, UTM, or ball ammunition and get effects on target. You could call for fire. Uh, you could call for fire or uh, CCA or CAS and get effects on virtual and and uh, real targets. Wow. Yeah. Just imagine when we both when we're both young soldiers if that stuff was out. <laughs> soldiers well, have a lot of different yeah. training skills. Yeah, well, we had a hard enough time keeping up with the miles. <laughs> <laughs> Getting it all back to turning was hard enough. Yeah. If you can get that shit to work, I mean, most of a lot of times you can't get you. Know, so I don't know. I don't know how good it is. In uh, I mean, the, the army tr was trying to do the. Uh, I don't know how many million billion dollars they did for the uh, Hololens that they were they were working to do, and that's that's. There's a lot of different things in there, but I think they gave up on that. So uh, eventually they'll have it. I mean, Crow System was an idea one day too. Right. Yeah, and, and that thing that really grew out of necessity after after a little bit there. To yeah. Save at least at least one person from being out exposed in the to the environment there. Yeah. We just I just trained a unit in uh, Ohio last week, and they were getting ready for their next trip across the pond and. They had to send 40 soldiers in the middle of our training to go through Crow system so they can get that checked off their uh, checklist to get deployed. So they missed half of our training, but they got something that really helped them when they're downrange. So I didn't complain. I said, we can always come back and train them anyway. So we'll be all right. We were on. Uh, that was a fight I had at Fort Hood. I'm at Fort Hood and I'm going to stand up a Crow's Academy because I got tired of training, waiting until. And we wouldn't let a we wouldn't let some cat leave, leave. Conus, if they hadn't qualified with their freaking pistol, right? But we're going to put somebody on a crow uh, system without any training because it's just like a video game, right? right. Um, and they've never touched it. That's <laughs> our Major Smith how that shit worked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. That shit didn't work out that day. No. Um, and and uh, I'm at Fort Hood and they're, well, you know, we, we can't. Sit. How many... I'm talking to the G G3 folks in the Army G3. I said, how many, how many four hundred thousands is it worth to you? All right. I mean, they you, answer. shit in containers somewhere. Send me some of these things and don't worry about it. We'll we'll make it happen. And we put an academy together at Fort Hood for crows. Um, I just got tired of having people get get in theater. I mean, when I was at division, I shut shit down at, or at at a at three core, all those rollover trainers, I sent that shit back home. So people didn't have to do rollover training in Afghanistan when they got there. Yeah. You have it at home station. That's a, uh, the other thing they wanted me to do when I got there is, uh, they wanted me to zero re zero my rifle at 25 meters. Are you sure? Well, before I deployed, I, I zeroed this at a hundred meters. <laughs> um, if, if you can't do any better than 25, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And we're not going to make anybody else do it either. Unless you can give them a hundred meters where it's supposed to be, uh, zeroed, let them, let them do it out the, out the, out of their sites. Um, they have the time before they leave. It, it's just, if you want to add, take away some of the stuff they don't really need to be doing, let it happen. Cause that's something that they don't need to do when they get in country. 
privatization. Don't make them do it. Get, make it, let it be an option. Provide them the, capability, the, the ability to do it, but don't make them do it. If, if, uh, they, it's, it's the unit's responsibility to be trained when they get there. Right. And they should be ready to go when they put go wheels up. So <laughs> you would think. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <It was> good. <laughs> so what are you doing now, Scott? Yeah, I started last. Thanks for asking. Last year, I started my own company. I was I was working with another larger consulting company, and uh, I started my own because uh, I don't want to I don't want to travel as much, so I want to do it in Charlotte as much as I can. So I'm working with companies, helping them. Uh, you know, like like you said, it took me a while to describe it. I, I help them reduce internal pressure. So internal pressure is usually a function of lack of clarity in five areas. Uh, it's it's vision, priorities, structure, clarity of roles, and cadence of accountability. Um, and and uh, if you can if you can focus on yourselves, focus on yourself, uh, and and reduce that internal pressure. That allows you to focus on the things that are external pressures for you. I, I tell the story. I was I was at a paving conference because I was I've been working with some paving companies. I like the paving companies. I like construction. I like manufacturing. I like working with the folks in the trades, tool and die. But I was at a paving conference and these paving professionals were complaining about young people and not wanting to work and don't come to work on time. And, and, and I was thinking of, I don't know if you know, uh, Sergeant Major McFowler, but McFowler was my brigade Sergeant Major in the 82nd and he's inspecting my room and he comes and opens my desk drawer and says, Hey, airborne, what we got right here. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Sergeant Major. He says, right here, I see a physical security violation. And, and he was pointing at some change. I said, what do you mean, Sergeant Major? This money right here, this is a physical security violation. I said, Sergeant Major, that, that's not even 40 cents. He said, Airborne, you're half the problem. And so what I wanted to tell the, the paving professionals were, hey, you're, you're focused on, on the people you hired, but you're half the problem. You hired the wrong person. You didn't set good expectations. Uh, you probably don't have good foremen and you're not focusing on uh, building your leadership team there. And so, uh, yeah, so that's that's where I came up with reducing internal pressure. And then I help folks increase capacity and co increased capacity comes from developing leaders and having a fantastic culture, just like we had in the strike brigade. Definitely. I think that helps any organization. The, the culture of the organization is what makes it thrive. Yeah, you can have the best product, but if you don't have a, a good culture, you're going to collapse, and uh, you'll lose the best people that you have because of the culture. Oh, that's right. You're going to lose your. I mean, you lose your best engineer because you won't get rid of your worst. Right. Or, or if you have your best welder and you make your welder the supervisor of all the other welders, and he has no leadership skills, then you've created two problems for yourself. One, you've lost your best welder, and two, you got a shitty leader. Definitely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's definitely something you would see in the military if if good leaders didn't uh, weren't able to be kept in a unit or left because they were disgruntled at some point. You wind up with the leader that the that was below them that was not really doing great things for the god and country, and uh, you had to weed them out on your own after that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it, it's tough. It is. Um, but anyway, that's that's what I'm doing now. I'm enjoying it. And that's the proximity group. 
that is the proximity group. Awesome. So if you if you can give tips to that young trooper that's uh, thinking of uh, joining the military right now, what would you tell that person, that young uh, young man, or young woman, as they go to that recruiter's office? What what kind of tip would you give them to have a great career or make the right choices? First thing, make things easy on yourself. Be physically fit. I mean, if you're physically fit, if you're more physically fit than fit, at least fifty percent of everybody else in the unit, things are going to be a lot easier for you. So be be physically fit and uh, yeah, do what you're told. <laughs> Your job. <laughs> uh, yeah, lead, lead yourself. Look in the mirror and lead lead yourself and uh, be on time with the right uniform. It's it's really about attitude. You know, developing a, a, an attitude where, uh, it, you know, be be hungry, be hungry, and and work to learn. And when you, when you work to learn, uh, when you work to learn, and you're fit, those folks are generally going to do pretty well in the military. And then they'll they'll get promoted, and and they'll they'll start leading others providing the same example and building our building that core of NCOs up again. So that'd be great. Yeah. Scott, you, we, we talked uh, when we, I guess about three weeks ago, when we uh, set this up, we talked about the pain train. Yeah. You still, you still have pain train flashbacks or did you, did you wash that away when you hung up your boots? Oh no, it's still, it's still working out. Um, okay. I, I just don't have anybody to, to, uh, <laughs> to, to share it with some, sometimes I do, but not, not very often. I don't have, uh, I, I was going to start my own. That was the other business that I was considering. So I was either going to um, start a mobile fitness business and call it the pain train, put nice. stuff in a, in a, in a container and drive it around. <laughs> and, uh, but I figured this would, uh, I'd have, don't make your, don't make your hobby, your job. Right. <laughs> um, otherwise you have to find another hobby. Exactly. So fitness is still a hobby for me. Awesome. Scott, it's been great catching up with you. Uh, it's always good to hang out with you and chat with you and uh, talk about strike and all the things that you've been through and all the things that you're doing now. It's all great things. Uh, how does someone get in contact with you to either uh, get you to work with their company or just for, to chat with you like we are now? Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best place, best place for me. Um, or, or they can email me at Scott at the proximity group.org. Awesome. Uh, like, like I said, this has been great. Thanks for agreeing to come on and uh, chat with me for the 30 or 40 minutes we've been on here. It's been great. And thanks for battling through technology at the beginning with me and doing this. Oh, it's fantastic, Rich. Hey, thanks for what you're doing for uh, for the force. And no problem. It's uh, my honor to do it. All right. Have All right. Strike. strike. Air assault. Air assault. There it is. All right. Thanks for Take checking care. us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit at our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 